Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Romans chapter 1 and verse 18. I'm actually going to be uh, reading this from the easy to read version. So I guess that suggests that every other version is difficult to read. This is the understanding, I guess. And uh, we'll talk about versions. The actual, the, the title that I have as of right now, we'll see if that gets adjusted later. But uh, the title I have right now is A Version of the Truth. A Version of the Truth. You know, our faith is so important. I said our faith is so important. Your belief system. Your belief system. What we believe directs what we receive. What we believe directs how we live. What we believe motivates our decisions, motivates the opportunities that we take a hold of. Our belief system is so vital. And I believe in our day and age today, and you'll have to excuse me today, I've been feeling the weight and the pressure of this message since about Monday afternoon, and then things kind of progressed throughout the week, as uh, doesn't always happen, but things will happen to confirm this is, direct, this is the direction we need to go. And that's so helpful for me, because uh, there's a lot of responsibility coming up here week in and week out, and wanting to hear from God, hear from the Holy Spirit. And this week, I had several things pop up through social media, through conversations with friends, through meetings that I've been in or went to that confirmed this was the direction we needed to go. And our belief system, I believe for a lot of people is on hinges. I believe that our belief system is founded in something. Maybe founded isn't quite the word, but we have laid our belief system on the grounds that are shifty and shaky and and not super grounded. I was at a meeting just a few days ago with other pastors and the individual spoke on the falling away, spoke on those that have fallen away from the faith and those that even have boldly declared uh, that they once were Christians or once were a part of this denomination or this organization, but now they believe something completely uh, uh, backwards, something uh, that now they have said, I don't, I'm not a follower of Christ, one said. Uh, one said, I believe I'm a follower of Christ, but what I've been preaching or believing for the last 25 years was incorrect. There, there's these things come up to question or to challenge your belief system. And we need in this day and age, more than ever, to have our belief system, our faith, founded and grounded in the one sure thing that is the word of God. But the problem is, is we don't have a word issue. We have a perspective issue. Because see, your perspective doesn't change what it is. It just changes what you see. You realize I can change my perspective, but God doesn't change. I can change how I see it, but his word doesn't change. And... Um, you know, we live in a culture today that values opinion over truth. That values 
being heard so much. Everybody wants to be heard, but we don't really give a lot of thought to what others are hearing. And in Romans chapter one, we actually will find out this isn't new. This is actually something that's been going on for a while. In verse 18, it says, God shows his anger. That's not where you really want to start, but that's where he starts. He says, God shows his anger from heaven against all the evil and wrong things that people do. He doesn't say God shows his anger against people. God shows anger against the evil and wrong things that people do. You got to understand God is a God that he's not angry with you. He loves you and he has uh, made a way of escape. He has applied mercy and grace to you even before you deserved it, even before you asked it. When we were least likely, Christ came and died for us while we were still sinners. So the message of the gospel isn't that you've blown it, you've missed it. God has his finger pointed at you and you need to get it straight or you're gonna go to hell. No, it's that there is evil in the world that is separating you from him and he has taken care of that. He's dealt with the sin that separates. He has forever, once and forever, dealt with the, the uh, things that we could possibly partake of that would divide us because for us to uh, properly apply the kingdom in our lives and to live the kingdom life, we have to be in unity with him, harmony with him, one with him, aligning our values, aligning our beliefs, aligning our thoughts, aligning our lives with his will. That's the only way it works. There is no other way. I was talking with a friend of mine Friday night. We were at a friend's house just hanging out and uh, he said he was reading in Luke and read some statements that Jesus said that makes Jesus sound harsh, making, makes him sound hard. He said, yeah, there was this one where he was telling his disciples, well, if they don't receive you just to wipe the dust off your feet and go on to the next town, that sounds kind of hard. Well, that was Jesus. You see, Jesus came to disrupt stuff. Jesus didn't come to find out how he could fit into your life. He actually came to find out how he could completely disrupt your life because everything you have been living is a lie and he doesn't wanna try to see where can I squeeze in here? How can I become a part of their, their life? I, he says, I want to be your life. But you have to abandon and walk away from everything you have been doing to receive what I have. If you want to grab a hold of what I have for you, you've gotta let go of what uh, you're holding on to. You can't have one without the other. And so uh, he says, it show, he shows his anger from heaven against all evil and the wrong things that people do. Their evil lives hide the truth they have. Essentially what he's saying is, is, is unrighteousness compromises your perspective. Unrighteousness compromises your perspective. That's what he's saying here. Now, I'm not, I'm not ministering on that necessarily today. I'm ministering to you today on the different things that we allow into our lives that dilute the truth, that help us or, 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 or hinder us from seeing the truth and cause us to dilute the truth and see a version of the truth. But here's the thing. Any version of the truth is a lie if it's not the word of God. And we live in a culture that wants to accept versions. Well, this is how I see it. This is what 
I think. But Jesus didn't come and say, what do you think? How do you see it? He said, this is how you ought to see it. This is how it is, whether you see it or not. Jesus came to confront and challenge that very mindset of accepting what you think. Jesus came as a king, but was born in worse conditions than probably most of you in this room. Probably 99% of you were born in better conditions than Jesus was. And he came as a king. Why? To disrupt the idea of what a king looks like. Disrupting its adultery. But in my law, on my conditions, if you even have the thought, he just changed the whole standard. He just disrupted everything. He was, he was completely challenging belief systems and thought processes and motivations of the heart. He was getting down to the root of the issue. This makes God angry because they have been shown what he is like. Yes, look at this. God has made it clear to them. Deception sets in, not because something's hidden from you. You're you are at the greatest risk of deception when it is the most clear to you. When it's right in front of you and you still don't see it. He says, there are things about God that people cannot see. His eternal power and all that makes him God. But since the beginning of the world, this is, that's a long time. Those things have been easy for people to understand. They are made clear in what God has made. So people have no excuse for the evil they do. People knew God, but they did not honor him as God. And they did not thank him. Their ideas were all useless. There was not one good thought left in their foolish minds. They said they were wise, but they became fools. Instead of honoring the divine greatness of God who lives forever, they traded it for the worship of idols. Things made to look like humans who get sick and die or like birds, animals, and snakes. People wanted only to do evil. So God left them and let them go their sinful way. And so they became completely immoral and used their bodies in shameful ways with each other. Watch this in verse 25. They traded the truth of God for a lie. They traded the truth of God for a lie. They bowed down and worshiped the things God made instead of worshiping the God who made those things. He is the one who should be praised forever. This is coming from a man, Paul, who was Saul, who was a murderer of Christians, who was doing and involved in one of the most vile acts that you could find in the word of God. That he was actually directly opposed to the kingdom. He knew who Jesus was. He was alive when Jesus was alive. He was of a, of a Pharisaical sect that, uh, that ultimately were the culprits in murdering and putting Jesus to death. He knew who he was. He knew what Jesus was about. And when Jesus ascended to heaven, whether he believed that he did or not, most of them didn't. They believed he was still in the grave and that his disciples stole the body out of the grave to, so that they could 
uh, bring weight to Jesus' prophecies that in three days he would rise again. But we know that Jesus did ascend to heaven. And Paul didn't want to believe that. And Saul, uh, when he saw that the crucifixion of Jesus did not fix their problem, but actually created a bigger problem, that now we have a group of radicals, a group of folks even crazier than Jesus was, that are now going around and saying uh, that they were followers of Jesus and doing the same things that Jesus did. And now you're even seeing some of the miracles and signs and wonders. They're still showing up. It's still happening. But now it's in way worse. It's a way worse condition than it was before because before it was one man doing these crazy things. Now it's a whole group of people. 3,000 people on a day of Pentecost come into the kingdom of God. That's 3,000 people that are now empowered by the Holy Spirit to go out and be Jesus's. So they kicked the anthill thinking they were going to get rid of the ants and they just stirred them all up and they went everywhere else. And what we don't understand is that Christianity has actually thrived greater under persecution than it has in comfort. Christianity has actually done better under oppression than it has under you having your way. You saying what you want. When you want. Just last week, we had an individual here from uh, uh, that travels around the world, ministers, uh, has been predominantly ministering in Asia, specifically in China, had to get out of China, couldn't even do what he was doing and keep his base of operations in China because it became so difficult to do what he was doing. Number one, the Chinese are extremely... Uh, 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 paranoid of, Chris, of Americans. And on top of that, they are, they're not really the greatest Christians. Communism hates Christianity. And so that was a double whammy. You are an American Christian. It's exactly what they don't want in the nation. But here in America, we've got freedoms galore. Here in America, we've got, uh, uh, I mean, to do what you're doing today. I mean, you realize we cut out 40 feet of metal siding to put in glass so people could actually see what we're doing in here. And a lot of these countries, they're trying to block that out so they don't know what's happening inside of these buildings like what we're doing right now. They can't do worship music. They can't make that kind of noise. They can't do what we're doing. But what we understand is that Paul, even coming from the lifestyle he had and even coming from the background he had, still had no problem telling you about the wrath of God, the anger of God, what God hates, what God abhors. In today's day and age, we have a gospel that wants to be so accepting of everything, like we think love is gonna be compromised. Well, apparently Jesus had no problem. Paul had no problem. The disciples, the apostles had no problem sticking to truth, staying with truth, and they didn't feel that love would be compromised at all. But that's the biggest, one of the biggest paradoxes we have in our nation today in, 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 uh, among the Christian group is how can I adhere to the word of God, but still present it in a way that it, 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 it's, it's built in the, uh, what, what this is founded on love, 
right? The gospel was, for God so loved the world that he gave his son. For God so loved the world that he gave you a word with standards and, and, and truth is on trial today. And I want to show you today the tendencies and the patterns and, and how we get to a place. The Bible says uh, that men will fall away from the faith. It doesn't say they will run away from the faith. It doesn't say they'll take a hard 90 and, and, and cut out that they'll just completely go 180 uh, right off the bat. But there are things that we allow in our lives, even in the smallest ways, that will steer us off in directions, things that we allow, things that we uh, uh, meditate on, things that we think on. And, and this is what the enemy is trying to do. The enemy is not gonna come to you and say, God is stupid and you don't need to follow him. You know, he knows the word, right? You know, when he came to Jesus, he actually spoke the word to him in Matthew chapter four when he was out in that wilderness. You would be surprised at what the devil would bring to you to try to get you to do wrong, to try to get you off path. Deception in the garden came with one word. Did God really say, if you eat of the tree, you will not surely die? And then he began a pattern. He began a, 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 t a trend that started in the garden and is still going today of how he manipulates, how he distorts, how he divides, how he brings errancy to the scripture. And this is what we've got to know. I'm not asking everybody in here to be a studied scholar. The, buddy, the Bible does tell us to be studiers, study to show yourself. That's, that's, that's far different than just the casual reader. That's far different than I got the U version verse of the day on my phone when I woke up. And so, I, I, yeah, I was in the word today. No, there is a, there's a depth to it. There's getting in there and they're saying, I, I need to understand this. I need to break this down. I need to be in this. It's my daily bread. Feed on the word like you feed on food. We, most of us don't miss Three meals a day. How much will we in the word? We're feeding our flesh, feeding our natural man, but our spirit needs to be fed. So I want you to look with me at uh, Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. Holy Spirit, give me clarity. Make this clear today in Jesus' name. I need his help. You need his help to hear. See, there, there's three people involved right now. There's three people involved. There's me, the speaker, there's you, the hearer, and then there's the Holy Spirit that illuminates. And the Holy Spirit empowers me to speak with boldness and with clarity. And the Holy Spirit empowers you to receive and to hear it as truth and to get the blinders off and to come out of darkness and see the light. So you've got to ask the Holy Spirit to help you hear. I need the Holy Spirit to help me speak. And in Matthew chapter 11, start with verse 1. It says, now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples, 
that he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. And when John had heard in prison, when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ. Now we're talking about John the Baptist. John the Baptist is in prison because he confronted Herod Antipas about his corrupt relationship, his marriage relationship. And he confronted him because that's just the way John the Baptist was. John the Baptist was a confrontational guy. John the Baptist didn't pull strings. John the Baptist didn't preach a, a, a message of, of salvation necessarily, of love. Uh, he would have, uh, probably wouldn't have a large growing church today. Um, he was uh, out in the wilderness, spent a lot of time out in the wilderness, hanging out by himself, mostly because nobody wanted to be around him. Did weird things, eating locusts and honey. How's that for a diet regimen? This, this televangelist, this uh, apostle, this, this, this guy that calls himself a prophet and uh, saying that he's preparing the way for somebody else. His, his ministry uh, uh, was very disruptive and very confrontational. He spoke about uh, what God was gonna do in a more divisive manner, confrontational manner than a receiving and accepting manner. He, he would say that uh, this man's gonna come and he's gonna separate. He's gonna divide. He's gonna burn up the chaff, the fire. I come and I baptize you in water. This guy's coming and baptize you in the, in the Holy Spirit with fire. Water's, oh, we're good with that, but if, Baptism with fire, gonna burn some things, gonna purify some things, gonna burn off some things that don't need to be there. John the Baptist was a, a, a very bold guy. And so now he is in prison. And again, this is, this is John the Baptist. This is Jesus's cousin, born six months earlier than Jesus himself. And he's ministering and he's getting people saved. He's getting people baptized. He preached repentance for the kingdom of God is at hand. He was the first prophet that uttered those kind of words, baptizing people in the Jordan River and, and eventually baptized Jesus. But now he's in prison and um, he's hearing about what Jesus is doing. He's hearing about these works that Jesus did. And he says, uh, and when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, are you the coming one or do we look for another? It's an interesting question. Interesting the, the, what, what, what he's looking for, the information. Wait a minute, I, I, I must have something wrong. Are you the guy? This is his cousin now. This is the one that he's been out boldly proclaiming, I'm preparing the way for this guy. And now from prison, when he had heard about Jesus and the works of his ministry from prison, you know what a lot of us do is we allow our circumstance, we allow our experience to determine our expectation. When he was out there ministering alongside, he had no problem. This is the guy, that's the man. When, he came, when Jesus was approaching to come get baptized, 
He said, man, I can't, I can't baptize you. I'm not even worthy to, to, to take off your sandals, much less baptize you. ought to be baptized in me. I mean, that was the response that he had. This is the guy. We're preparing the way for this guy. And now he's saying, uh, I must be confused. Something's going on here. Now in prison, he's allowed his circumstance and his experience to start to shift his expectation of what Jesus is supposed to do. If you actually, if you hold your finger there and, and back up to Matthew chapter, get some insight as to what John the Baptist was looking for and what John the Baptist thought was what Jesus came to do. Matthew chapter three. And uh, actually, I want to read this to you in the Amplified. It, it really breaks down what his expectation was. In Matthew chapter three, and we're gonna look at uh, verse 10. Start with verse 10. And already the acts of God's judgment, listen to the words that he uses. The acts of God's judgment is swinging toward the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Listen to how abrasive this is. Listen to how confrontational this is. As for me, I baptize you with water because of your repentance. That is because you are willing to change your inner self, your old way of thinking, regret your sin, and live a changed life. That's what he's preaching. I'm gonna baptize you in water because you are garbage. And you need to go down, you need to die in the water. And when you come back up, you're gonna be made new in life, but you gotta quit thinking like you think, you gotta quit acting like you act, you gotta quit behaving like you behave, you gotta quit responding like you respond. You gotta change, right? We gotta change. Look at your neighbor and say, you gotta change. You gotta change some things. John is talking about, you need to do this, this, and this, because God's doing this and this, and he's gonna cut this, and he's gonna throw this, and he's gonna burn this, and this is what he's saying. But he, the Messiah, who is coming after me, is mightier, more powerful, more powerful, more noble than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to remove even as his slave. Now I know it's like, but man, this guy's coming and he's he's so awesome. No, he's saying he's tougher than I am. John the Baptist is mom that says, You think it's bad now? Wait till dad gets home. That's what he's doing. You think this is rough? Wait till your father gets home. He will take care of it. That's what he's saying. Watch, keep going. He's gonna come. He says he's tougher. He's mightier. He's more noble, more prestige. He's got more authority. Like right now, I'm talking on his behalf, telling you what's gonna happen. But when he shows up and he sees you doing this stuff, he's gonna take care of it. He will baptize you who truly repent with the Holy Spirit and you who remain unrepentant with fire, judgment. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will thoroughly clear out his threshing floor and he will gather his wheat believers into his barn kingdom, but he will burn up the chaff, the unrepentant with unquenchable fire. And when he shows up, you're in for it. 
you better straighten up now. You better get it right now. That's John the Baptist. But now you jump back ahead to Matthew chapter 11. And John the Baptist is kind of getting word of what's going on in Jesus's ministry while he's been in prison. John the Baptist is hearing some things. It's not quite congruent with his thought process of what the guy with the winnowing fork and the fire and burning and chaff and dividing and cutting and where, where, where's the ax? Look, look, look at what he says. He sends these disciples and he said to them, the disciples, are you the coming one or do we look for another? You're not lining up with my idea. You're, li you're not lining up with my expectation. You're not lining up with what, uh, wh where's the fork? Where's the ax? Where, where's the burning? Where's the fire? Where's, where, where's the destroying and the dividing? And, the, and, and, and why aren't you dealing with these people? I, I told these Pharisees you were coming. I told these individuals, get it right, because when he comes, he's gonna really mess you up. Verse four, Jesus answered and said to them, go and tell John the things which you hear and see. Watch this list. The blind see. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. And the poor have the gospel preached to them. No ax. No fork. No fire. No burning. No dividing. No separating. You're in the barn and you're going to the trash and he says, uh, tell them what you see. The, blame, the, the, the blind see. The lame walk. The deaf are hearing. There's deliverance. There's freedom. There's blessing. There's grace. There's mercy. And see, this is what happens. See, typically our view of Christianity is tied to our view of culture. They follow the same trend. They go up and they go down with one another. They, 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 they tend to be on the same wavelength. We allow our idea of truth to become more prevalent. See, here's the thing. Experience is great. Experience is awesome. You should grow in your experience. You should gain experience. You should desire to have experience. Not just, uh, 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 we want you to experience God. We don't want to have to explain God to you at Anchor Faith Church. We want you to experience God at Anchor Faith Church. It's one thing to just simply explain him to you, but we want you to actually get involved, experience him. But here's the danger of experience. Experience can help you learn some things. It can be a great teacher, but it's a terrible master. Yes, Siri, you, you can preach later. I'm preaching right now. It literally just, jeez, mind of their own. Experience is a great teacher, but a terrible master. Experience should be valued, but it should not be prioritized experience should be valued, but it should not be prioritized. Prioritized over what? Prioritized over the word. Prioritized over truth. 
prioritized over what God says, prioritized. There's gonna be plenty of opportunities in our lives where the word will confront your experience and you will come at the crossroads to say, do I go with experience or do I go with what the word says? Do I go with what I've seen or do I go with what God says? Do I go with how it's always been or do I, am I trying to get God to come down to my level or am I gonna raise my thinking above and say, I need to come up to his level. Oh, his, his thoughts are higher. His ways are greater. Yes, they are. But he doesn't say you can't know him. He doesn't say you can't experience him. He wants you to raise up, rise up. We love the God will meet you where you're at approach. But do you know there are numerous accounts in the word of God where Jesus or disciples or apostles said, I want to tell you this stuff, but you can't handle it. I want to declare. Jesus said, there's many more things I have to show you, but you cannot bear them now. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter three that I ought to be able to teach you spiritual things, but you're still carnal, babes in Christ. The writer of Hebrews in chapter five, verse 14 says that we have to have ourselves trained and skilled to recognize good, the difference between good and evil. He says, by now you ought to be teachers, but you're having to be taught the elementary truths all over again. Yes, God will meet you where you are, but God will not leave you where you are. We have a responsibility to grow. We have a, a responsibility to get beyond. We have a responsibility to move forward and to move past. And then when the opportunity arises, and it will, when the word confronts a situation or a circumstance, you've got to decide, am I gonna go with the word or am I gonna go with what I've seen? So John's at a crossroads. Are you the one? Because I don't see a fork. I don't see fire. I don't see burning. I don't see dividing. I don't see things being taken out. I don't see the, us going to the barn and, and them going, what, what happened to all, all that mess? I mean, you know, and he's not wrong. He's not wrong. But he's missing a side of Jesus. See, so many of us want to cling to our side of the truth that we can't ever see the other side of the truth. The, the, the version of the truth that we accept many times compromises God's version of the truth. God has a version of truth. Did you know that? God did not leave this book up to mankind to figure out and say, okay, whatever y'all come up with, it's good with me. Come on now. He didn't write the book and say, all right, y'all. He actually gave you a Holy Spirit and he said, he'll teach you. He'll guide you. He'll show you. And he, what did he say? He will guide you into all what? Truth, not lies, not deception, not a false reality. He's here to guide us into all truth. So John the Baptist is a little perplexed and Jesus is showing John the Baptist that there's a different side. There's another side. There's another version of the truth. I'm the same person you talked about back then. I'm the same one. I'm him. I'm Jesus. But here's the things you didn't think about. Here's the things that you didn't comprehend. Here's the things you didn't see that I could do. 
The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And then he throws this little tag, and this is interesting. Number six, verse six. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. It doesn't even seem like it fits. Doesn't even seem like, like, why are you even throwing that in there? But I started to think about it. And offense is typically the number one response we have when we see a different version of truth that's different than our experience or our circumstance. That word offense literally means stumbling block, stumbling block something that causes you to stumble. Now look at what he says. He says, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. First off, he's not apologizing for being offensive. In essence, he's saying, sorry, not sorry. If you thought those were the things I was gonna do, not my problem if I don't line up with your idea of what I'm supposed to do. It's not God's problem, but we get offended at God and we get mad at God and the, and, 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 and the truth confronts and the truth disrupts and the truth comes in and our experience is now like, great, what have I been believing for the last 30 years? What have I been thinking? What have I been doing? What have I been, you know, what's going on here? Are you really the one or am I looking for another one? I mean, who is this guy? calls himself Jesus, calls himself the Messiah. I mean, I always believed this was the one. I thought I was preparing the way for him, but all these miracles, all these signs, all these wonders, all this deliverance, that's not what, you know, where's the fork? Where's the fire? Where's the, where's the stuff that you were gonna bring that was gonna burn all this stuff? And Jesus says, hope it doesn't offend you. In fact, he's suggesting that it will be offensive and you have to choose to not get offended at it. It's literally the implication. I know what I just said will offend you because it confronts you. Offense is usually a response from confrontation. And now you've got a stumbling block. Now you've got something. But he said, but blessed is he who doesn't get offended. Blessed is he who doesn't allow this to be a stumbling block. But yet, could I possibly learn more? Could I possibly see something I didn't know before? Could, could I see something in the word of God? Could Jesus reveal something to me that I had never seen in 30, 40, 50, whatever years? Could I see the other side, another version? Could I see truth for what it is? Because look, Jesus isn't just speaking truth. He is the truth. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I am truth. But it's got many sides. And you've bought into one side. You know, most, people, most of us grow up, uh, uh, a lot of us grow up, and we have to make the disclaimer that, that regardless of what your childhood was like, regardless of what your natural father was like, absent or there, uh, great dad, not so great dad, whatever, you can't view God in light of that. God's better than that. God is the father. He is the heavenly father. He, there's nobody that can father like God. 
don't care how many ball games you go to. I don't care how much you do. I don't care uh, 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 what, what you set up. There's nothing you can do that can outdo God when it comes to being a dad. So what happens is we limit who God is based on our experience, based upon what we've seen, and, 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 and that creates the level of perception. And you'll never live beyond your level of perception. You never will. You will never live beyond your perspective. You will never live beyond. So the question is, what's shaping your perspective? The question is, what are you allowing? Are there things in our lives that are diluting the truth, diluting what we see? Because Jesus was all those things that John the Baptist said. Jesus was the healer, the deliverer, the, the redeemer, the restorer. He was all those things. But John had a perspective and he wasn't able to get past his perspective. I don't care what culture says. I don't care what other people buy into. I don't care who falls away. I don't care how prominent they are. I don't care how big their church is. I'm going with the truth. I said, I'm going with the truth. I'm going with the word of God. I'm going with what his word says. I don't care what people say about speaking in tongues. I've been doing it since I was seven years old. I don't care what people say about divine healing. I've been healed. You're too late. I've experienced healing in my body. I've experienced the power of the Holy Spirit. I've experienced the speaking in tongues. I've experienced the gifts and operations. I've experienced it. But we come up with versions and we come up with sides. And, and, and look, we, we, we live, if Christianity is unlike any other religion on the planet in the fact that it has so many different viewpoints just within itself. Other religions are more unified on what they believe than we are about this book right here. You know what a, dom you know what a denomination is? It's a preference. We need to stop calling them denominations. What preference are you? Well, I, I prefer Baptist. I prefer Pentecostal. And can I just help some of y'all out? Because we just, we have this idea that one's wrong and one's right. What if they are all what we need and we just keep separating out to the one part of it that we like? Hello now. What if we're the ones dividing it all out and we, we pick and choose what we like to find our liking, to find our preference. And then we call them, that's a Baptist church. That's a Methodist church. That's, well, maybe there are things all in there that if we bought in, I'm not saying they're all correct. There's plenty of them that are heretical. There's plenty of them that are wrong. But I can tell you right now, there's the essence of what these individuals built these denominations on. that we, 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 we grew to one side and we hugged around one side when that was just an element of the whole. We're missing the whole. John the Baptist, maybe that's why they call him John the Baptist because he hugged one side. They even defined him. Nobody else in the Bible is... Paul the Pentecostal and John the Baptist and Peter the Methodist. 
He's the only one that's got that term after his name, John the Baptist, because he got to one side and Jesus was trying to say, there's another side over here. There's another side. You're not wrong, but there's another side. Because the same God that's bringing the fire wants to bring healing. The same God that wants to separate, wants to unify. The same God that, that, that's coming to, to bring an all-in response is trying to say, how can I help you? How can I come and meet your need? It's the same God. It's the same Jesus. But we allow our perspective to become diluted by our experiences. And now Paul, the, 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 John the Baptist, along with many other Jews, thought Jesus was coming to deliver, to set free. Now I'm ended up in the very place that I thought I was going to be delivered from. Where's your kingdom, Jesus? Because the Jews were looking for a literal kingdom. They were looking for a literal overthrow of the Roman government. They thought somebody was going to come in with swords and shields and come in with battle cries and they were going to burn this place, literally. Set the Romans on fire and get their freedom and deliverance. And what John was looking for has actually not even been consummated yet. The winning wing fork and the separating of the chaff. That day is still to come. But Jesus said, tell them about the miracles. Tell them about the signs. Tell them about the wonders. Tell them. Tell them. And then he says, blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Now watch this, verse seven. As they departed, so now they're walking away. They don't hear the rest of this. <laughs> they just, they get the opposite answer. I mean, you could just imagine, oh, we gotta go back to John with this. It's exactly what he didn't wanna hear. As they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in kings' houses. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, behold, I send my messenger before your face. Who will prepare your way before you? Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. But he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. You know, you would think that would be the thing you'd want to send back to John the Baptist. You would think that would be, you know, this is kind of like when you, you get on to someone in front of them and then you turn around and you go to someone else and say, man, they're such a great person. I, I really love them. But I would never tell them that to their face. Why not? Tell them. Let them know. That's exactly what he's done. Oh, that what John thought he was going to get? Well, you tell him. Blind, see, lame, walk, deaf, hear. Lepers are cleansed. And don't get offended because that stuff's happening. And you thought I was going to do something else. Now, let me tell you how awesome this guy is. See ya. Okay. That's literally what's happening. And then look what he says here in verse 12. This is key. 
And from the days of John the Baptist until now. So starting with John the Baptist, John the Baptist was a catalyst for what follows. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. In essence, what he's turning around and saying is what John thought was gonna happen, he's right. This was a violent kingdom. I have come to divide. I have come to disrupt. I have come to burn up. But to Jesus, it was more important that John understood that there's another side of the truth that you didn't see. And you've tied what you believed about me and you've tied what you believed about this mission and you've tied what you thought I was supposed to do with your experience, with your expectation of me and your expectation has actually become your limitation because you saw me as someone that was gonna divide, someone that was gonna burn, someone that was gonna separate, someone that was gonna uh, confront, someone that was gonna disrupt just like you, but I've come as a healer or restore. I've come to bring life and life more abundantly. I've come to go after the one, everyone leaving the 99 and go find the one. I've come to find the prodigal son and welcome him back home. See, Jesus is both. It's not a one or the other. We live in a culture that so quickly wants to find the one or the other. And what happens is the truth overall is what gets compromised. I mean, one of the, one of the individuals that had quoted that, which I hadn't even heard these things until this meeting a couple days ago, I guess was a, a worship leader at a really large church, probably one of the, probably the largest church in the world one of the largest churches in the world, was a worship leader there that said that he had uh, gained a view of homosexuality. That now he's finding out, he had been preaching it. He said for 25 years, been preaching this and stood behind our pastor and stood behind our church preaching that this was wrong and this was incorrect. But now I found that I was wrong and that we need to be more accepting. We need to empower that community. And I'm not even asking you today where you stand. I'm helping you understand that people are walking away from bold-faced truths, things that are, just as Romans said, clear and obvious and evident. It's right in front of you. We cannot make it any clearer. Creation is preaching the gospel. You can see it all around you. Creation is male is made of male and female. And why are we the ones that get to break that mold? Why are we uh, 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 human beings, the only ones that break what, what happens between a male and a female? Plants even follow that. My gosh, the creation is crying out, saying, where are the sons of God? Creation is crying out, saying, will somebody stand up for truth and quit getting thrown around by culture and thrown about by what somebody says or what somebody thinks? Will somebody please find yourself firmly upon the word of God? 
on the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. If you're building your doctrine or your belief system off of me, off of Anchor Faith Church, off of what some pastor said, off of what grandma said, I was, I remember a, 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 a heated argument I got into one time. I was only like 21, 22 years old working at this bank. And this girl that I worked with, we just, she was, she loved God. Christian, we would talk about church stuff all the time. It's great. Being in that environment, being in that culture, but having another believer, I mean, it was awesome. But then one day we got in a conversation about healing. Telling her where we stand, telling her what I believe, what I believe the word says. Showing her line upon line. And just couldn't see it. Could never present one scripture. But she would tell me about her grandma. She would tell me all about grandma. Grandma prayed and grandma had faith. Grandma believed. Grandma died. Let me tell you something. The Lord gave me this this morning when I was studying. Because we always want an explanation for the truth. Those that need an explanation are at the mercy of experience. Those that need an explanation are at the mercy of experience. What the problem that we're facing is, is that this is no longer good enough. Give me a podcast. Give me a thought leader. Give me a book. Well, let me show you what the word says. No, I, I, I need more. Because they're looking for explanations. We're looking for more and more resources to limit our faith. Faith doesn't thrive in explanation. It's what we're looking for. We need an explanation. We're at the mercy of experience. I want you to hear the severity. I want you to hear what we're talking about. Even though truth is on trial, it's not changing. Malachi chapter three. Malachi chapter three, if we can throw that up there. Says, I am the Lord. I do not change. If you're, wait, if you're waiting on God to change his viewpoint to your viewpoint, it's not happening. It's a wasted endeavor. You might as well take all your efforts into just believing by faith what the word of God says. Not because somebody showed it to you, not because some church preached it, 
But what does the word say? What does the word say? Because he's not changing. So this is what the Lord showed me. There's three levels of how this happens in our lives. So like I said, it doesn't happen overnight. Anything that's resulting in our life today was planted at a seed, as a seed, as a seed. It means it comes in in a small way. The enemy plants seeds, not trees. He's coming to you with a seed. I mean, I don't have the basis for it, but in Genesis chapter three, it's just hard for me to believe. And fathom, that was the only time this snake approached Adam and Eve. I feel like there were seeds, that, that there were things that came in and corrupted and, and began to manipulate and they began to buy into that over time. I believe Genesis chapter three is, is, is uh, 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 looking at it now, looking back, but there were small incremental opportunities just like Jesus being tempted for 40 days and 40 nights. Well, we only have an account of three of them. We're talking about a bombardment. We're talking about something that continually comes and many times the enemy finds your weakest point. He's fasted 40 days and 40 nights. So what's the first thing he brings up? Food? Turn those rocks into stone or turn, turn those stones into bread. Some longhorn bread right now with butter, cinnamon butter. Sounds really good right now. Sounds good. That's not on the keto. That's not on the Atkins or whatever. I don't even know. I don't know the diets. It changes every day. New diet. New day, new diet. But these seeds come in. This is what the Lord showed me. Number one, we become skeptical. Skeptical. The word skeptical, or to be a skeptic or have skepticism, literally means having an attitude of doubt. This is just the initial stage, but it seems small at first. In fact, you know, we value asking questions. We value being a learner. We value, hey, I got to grow. I mean, I, we, we say it all the time. Leaders ask questions. If you're, not le if you're not asking questions, you're not growing. If you're not asking questions, you're not learning. You got to ask questions. You got to be intuitive. You got to say, hey, man, how, you know, what's going on? Why are we doing this? Hey, let's change this. Let's disrupt this. Let's, and, and, and so there's got to be that. But it says having an attitude of doubt. You know, not everyone that came to Jesus asking a question wanted an answer. Go look at his ministry. Go see how many times the Pharisees would ask questions. Life sounded good. Rich young ruler questions sounded good. How may I inherit eternal life? I'm running, I'm bowing down. This man, I want, I want to be a part of what this, but not everyone wanted an answer. They wanted their answer. And the word even gives us insight that many of those Pharisees would ask questions to get him in a trap, to trap him. So 
It's really talking about our attitude. It's really talking about our heart. It's skeptical is denying or questioning. To be skeptical is to be denying or questioning. Guys, it's one thing to wonder. It's another thing to question. It's one thing to wonder about divine healing. It's another to question. But again, it just comes in as a seed. And he plants those thoughts to get you to challenge the word of God. So a simple question to help you here. Are you asking because you're doubtful or because you want to learn? Doubtful or ignorant, those are two different things. Ignorant means I want to know, I want to grow, I want to learn. Doubtful says, you're gonna have to show me. It's even spoken of in the book of Acts with the the church at Berea, the Bereans, that they would go back and they would study out the word. But let me tell you, there's plenty of people that only study this word to disprove stuff, not to learn anything. And I can tell you right now, if you look hard enough, you can get this book to align with any thought process you come up with. We've been doing it for 2000 years. We've found some crazy scriptures in here to back up some crazy things that God never intended them to back up. And that's because people aren't going in with the desire to learn. Because here's what I know. If you allow the Holy Spirit to show you, he can only show you one thing, truth. And the same Holy Spirit's not gonna tell you one thing and tell someone else another thing and let's just all agree to disagree because it says the Holy Spirit hears from heaven and he's only gonna speak that which he hears the Father say and he's only gonna tell you things that Jesus said. So now you got three people to go up against and you ain't getting those three to disagree with one another. Well, that's how Jesus sees it. But that Holy Spirit, it's kind of weird, you know. And then the way I see it. No, they all come into agreement on the same thing. So are you reading the word to grow and to learn? Or are you reading the word? Let's let's see what it has to say about speaking in tongues. Let's see what the Bible says. Oh yeah, yeah, show me in scripture. Are you coming? Man, I just, I I, I gotta know. I don't wanna know because grandma told me I don't wanna know because I read it in some book. I don't wanna know because I heard it on a pocket. I wanna know. Show me here. What does the word say? But if we allow skepticism to take root, the next step from there is becoming cynical. Cynicism. We start out skeptical. Uh, I don't know. Are you sure? I doubt that, but you can show me. Questioning, denying. But next, we become cynical. Cynical means to distrust the motives. Distrusting motives, intentions, the heart. Now you're questioning the heart of the person you're hearing. You've already, you've already measured them up. You've already evaluated them before they even open their mouth and try to direct you. You can't learn anything with that attitude. You can't grow when you've already determined, he's just trying to get me to believe it because... Doesn't work. There's no growth there. It started as a seed of just becoming skeptical. We allowed it to grow into cynicism. Further into that definition, it says bitterly or sneering pessimism. You already have a negative outlook. 
I mean, for me, trying to explain it and trying to teach you and develop you, I'm already behind the eight ball. I got to overcome your heart before I can even get into your mind. It also said showing contempt. There's a pride with cynicism. Become cynical. Everything's negative. Everything's broken. Everything's messed up. Everything is it's all. You can't teach those kind of people. You can't receive with that attitude. And then you begin to show contempt. Become lifted up in pride. So it starts as a seed with skepticism. It becomes cynicism. And thirdly, it ends with becoming critical. Then you begin to criticize. Criticism begins to set into your heart. You begin to criticize people that speak in tongues. You begin to criticize people that believe in healing. You begin to criticize that uh, people that speak with confession and, and know that their words have power. You begin to speak with criticism. To become critical, to define that, inclined to find fault. Now you want to prove where they're wrong. And you can only do it by criticizing it. You can only do it by cutting down. This is where the names start getting called. This is where you start grouping people. Oh, you're one of those tongue talkers. All with the seed of skepticism. Growing into cynicism. Well, I don't know why they would do that. Getting lifted up in pride. And then you begin to criticize. And let me give you the last thought on criticism. When you move into criticism, you literally side with the enemy. Did God really say? Did he really say? You can't eat of the fruit of this tree. And then he even went a little further. The reason why he doesn't want you to eat the fruit is because he knows you're going to know everything he knows. He doesn't want you to be like him. He's a God that's trying to keep things from you. That kind of God you want to serve? Moved into criticism. Moved into cutting down. We all have the responsibility, worship team, if you'd come, to know the word for ourselves. But today you have to commit that you're not gonna allow your perspective to be flawed. You're not gonna allow anything to cloud the waters, to dilute the truth. The truth is there. It's not going anywhere. And I can even tell you this, it's not difficult. God hasn't put a formula out there. It's not hard. In fact, Paul in his writing in Romans said, it's clearly seen. The invisible God is made visible through creation. Everything around you is trying to convince you this is truth. I was talking with someone just a few weeks ago about atheism. And I said, man, it takes more faith to not believe in God than to just believe in God. With as much as you know, you're exercising that amount of effort 
to not believe when everything around you is shouting at you saying, there is a God. What's it take? How hard has your heart gotten? Only God can change the heart. Only God can change the heart. It's your job to renew your mind, but only God can change the heart. I want to read this quote to you. And then I want to take a moment and pray for you. I saw this just this past week, again, just confirmation that I was on the right track. This individual said it this way. We live in a culture that has, for centuries now, cultivated the idea that the skeptical person is always smarter than the one who believes. Read that again. We live in a culture that has, for centuries now, cultivated the idea that the skeptical person is always smarter than the one who believes. But yet my God calls me to have childlike faith. To simply believe. When Jairus' daughter was dying, he came to Jesus and he found Jesus and he said, I know you have the power to raise up my daughter. She's at the point of death. She's not dead yet, but she's at the point of death. Let's go. So they're on their journey. And a woman with an issue of blood, 12 years, the same age as the daughter back home. When that daughter was born, she was inflicted with her sickness and her illness comes, touches the hem of his garment. Jesus stops and says, who just touched me? Are you crazy? Everybody's touching you. No, somebody touched me. Power was drawn out of me. I need to know who touched me. Oh, it was me. It was me. Daughter, today, your faith has made you whole. I don't know about you, but that's the kind of faith charge I need when I'm the way, on the way to my miracle to see somebody else get their miracle. But right behind that, people come from the house. Don't even bother the master. She died. You didn't make it here in time. And immediately the thought comes, maybe if we wouldn't have stopped for this woman, we would have made it in time. And Jesus turns to Jairus, not with an explanation. And let me tell you how this happened. In your faith here, it can be changed. It can be it can be built. I did it for her. I could do it for you. Let me tell you how this healing thing, let me tell you how to get your, he didn't stop and do all that. He turned to him and he said, don't be afraid, only believe. Guys, you don't need an explanation. You need faith. You don't need some experience. You don't, those are great. He had experience right in front of him. Watch the woman literally get healed right in front of him. And Jesus turned and said, only, I said, only believe. Don't be afraid, only believe. 
Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithbaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.